Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Point Podcast. Everybody's doing well on this Thursday. And what of a beautiful day we have here, 32 degrees, not counting the humidity. Beautiful day, and it's a great day to talk sports because we got some content today. We had a great guest in Ben Murray who's going to join in hour, hour and a half's time to discuss a lot of things in the NHL, look ahead to the second half of the Major League Baseball season as the MLB gets back up and running today. We tell, you know, I hear you know, these different sports complain about all-star breaks and you have major league baseball have to do the home run derby on Monday. And even if you're not in it, you have to go all-star game Tuesday where there's 40 man rosters, a crazy number of players that are there. And then you have the Yankees, Astros, athletics, tigers playing double headers today. There's no break for these players. It's a long grind of a season and they're back in up and at it today. So we'll look ahead to the second half kind of storylines to look out for. I saw this morning on FanDuel that the New York Yankees, go figure, are the prohibitive favorite to win the World Series. They are plus 340. So you know, they they very much are a heavy, heavy favorite. I, I'm not surprised to see them there. The Dodgers are right behind them. So <laughs> clearly Vegas believes that a major market is going to win the World Series. And to me, it's a good time to get in on, you know, buy low on some of these teams. The Blue Jays were the favorite. I don't have a whole lot of confidence in the Blue Jays to win a World Series as their team is currently constructed. You hear reports about Juan Soto potentially going to Toronto. And I've talked about on the show how he, you know, he could be signing extension next year, although his team, the Blue Jays could trade for him. He does have two years of arbitration rights. So he get paid a big salary. They wouldn't necessarily have to sign him long term, but still, that that's an option. I've heard that mold around. I don't think it's the greatest move. I don't think the Blue Jays are winning a World Series, even if they get Juan Soto with the pitching that they have. To me, it's more important to find better bullpen help, to find better uh, starting pitching in the rotation because that they they were the World Series favorites before the season. They didn't have Juan Soto as an at-bat. They haven't had a major injury when it comes to a, a, a bat. Sure, do they need a left-handed bat? Absolutely. But that's something, you know, the Blue Jays, you could sell on, uh, buy low on them. Seattle, I like Seattle a lot. I mentioned I put money on Seattle to make the playoffs. You're not going to get great money on that bet right now because they're in a good position, because they are in a playoff spot a game ahead of the Toronto Blue Jays as we currently stand potentially, you know, you throw a winning a world series on the Houston Astros are still a great team. They got Justin Verlander. They got Javier. I mentioned the other day, they're starting pitching when you basically what you're setting up now is three games, best of seven, but if you can get three starters. You can, and then your four starter hoping can give you something, but it's more of a bullpen day. The Houston Astros have that setup with Framper Valdez, Christian Javier and Justin Verlander. Not many teams do. The Yankees do to an extent, but I have more faith in that Houston staff than I do in New York because I've seen Houston's do it. I've seen Framper Valdez throw seven innings clean in a World Series game because he did it last year. So he's that staff is dangerous. That lineup, you know, Houston could be a team that could look at a, a Juan Soto type deal. And the reason I say that is they have Michael Brantley in left field and he's a solid veteran, although you prefer him to play designated hitter. They've lost Carlos Correa. They've lost 
George Springer, obviously the Toronto Blue Jays. They could have another power bat in their lineup, another bat that you can rely on. Jordan Alvarez is a star. He's potentially an MVP, an MVP guy. And you got still got Altuve batting leadoff and all they do there in Houston. But they could still make moves. They could still add another big bat to me. They got a lot of inexperienced guys come postseason time when it comes to when it comes to that bats. McCormick, Tucker, Pena, these guys aren't used to the big stage. They haven't been in that position where Juan Soto's won a World Series. He's been there, done that. You know he's done it. So that's something to me to look ahead to is potentially if Houston even adds at the trade deadline, if they get better, then you got to look at it and say, wow, this team is really a threat. And to me, like there's teams that need pitching. There's teams that need bats. It's clear to me the Blue Jays are a team that should be looking for pitching. It shouldn't start next week. It should start today. If you can make a deal to make your team better today, you do it. It's not picking up a reliever off the scrap heap like Sergio Romo. I love Sergio Romo, but he's 39 years old. He's past his peak. He's not what he used to be. Finding starting pitching that can have a legit impact on your roster is what this team should be doing. Whether they accomplish that goal or not remains to be seen, but that's what they should be trying to be doing right now. So me and Ben, you're getting into that. We got lots of and juicy NHL gossip when it comes to Matthew Kachuk. When it comes to Pierre-Luc Dubois, I'll talk over trade scenarios. Ben will join, give his uh, give his take. And also, Benny is a Columbus Blue Jacket fan, the only one I've ever met, the only one I know. And I want to hear what it was like for him to hear that Johnny Goodrow was coming to the Midwest. There's not many podcasts you're going to get this kind of content. You get to hear from a Columbus Blue Jackets fan that when they, from the horse's mouth, when he signed, how did he feel? What was the emotions like when he said, holy crap, Johnny Goodrow is leaving Calgary for Columbus? So we're going to hear his thoughts on that, what it what it meant when it happened, and, and all the aftermath of Johnny Goodrow moving, Kachuk leaving Calgary. Lots of turmoil there. That city is going to burn because all their players are leaving. But Kachuk telling the team he's not going to sign long-term is actually doing them a favor. And should, they should use it to their benefit in the next couple of weeks when they're working out a trade. And I'll touch on all that today. But we're going to start today by there's always so much going on. I could have led with football today. Kyler Murray signed an extension with the Arizona Cardinals, which we'll get to today. But there's a sport that I rarely get to discuss this much. And it's like I said, you got football, you got basketball, baseball, lots going on. But when me and Seamus had our weekly chat last week, I talked about the UFC being the sport of the summer, grabbing the headlines and being in the spotlight because of the great fighters that they have, the cards that they put on a week-to-week basis and how just how damn good they are, quite frankly, and the product that the UFC provides. And last weekend's card in, in Long Island, New York was fantastic. The Headline event between Yair Rodriguez and Brian Ortega did not go the way I wanted it to, obviously, because it was stopped in the first round because Ortega blew out his shoulder. Would have been a great fight. Nonetheless, we have we have uh, Yair Rodriguez move on. You could argue that Ortega blew out his shoulder because he was in a submission. He was trying to get out of it. I think Rodriguez deserves some credit for what he did in that fight, and not just that, oh, it's a walkover because Ortega physically couldn't perform anymore. 
But the sport has a lot of big names right now. It has a lot of attractions. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to see a lot of them. This weekend, even if you're not a big UFC fan, Patty the Batty Bimlet, I guarantee you, you've heard of this guy. He's from London, England. He's got a thick accent. You're thinking, okay, well, who is he? He is the guy that fights and then puts on 50 pounds of weight. You know what I mean. He's eating burgers. He's eating donuts. And you, next time you see him, he looks like a completely different human being. He talked about in an interview this week that within three weeks of his fight, he had to cut 34 pounds. That is not healthy. I don't want to think about what that's going to do with his body long term. But he is a great fighter. But he's also an attraction because you look at him and say, how is this guy going to continue to do this? But he's going to weigh in tomorrow for his fight in London on Saturday where we have Curtis Blades, a heavyweight, going up against Tom Aspinall. Aspinall is from the United Kingdom himself. You have Patty from the United Kingdom fighting. You have Molly McCann in, in the uh, featherweight division for the women. So a London event that very much screams that it's going to be a showstopper because you have a lot of entertaining fighters. Curtis Blades is a heavyweight that's that's very good. He can get you on the ground. He can beat you that way, as can Aspinall. So you have two heavyweights that do have knockout power, but they're also versatile fighters. They're also guys that if you want to mess around and go down to the mat, they will go down there with you and make life difficult. So that should be a great fight. But I wanted to talk about today more than anything is where, where we stand when it comes to champions and divisions. So in the UFC, there's so many different divisions. There's so many different weight classes and how that's all distributed. Looking at what's happened over the last couple of weeks. Three weeks ago, Alexander Volfanovsky, the featherweight champion of the world at 145, defeated Max Holloway for a third time. It was the third, third fight in the trilogy. Holloway had was the champion. Volfanovsky took the title in a fight that I think Max won. They fought again. It was very close. And since then, Alex has just simply been on a dominant, dominant run. He's defeated Brian Ortega. He's defeated Holloway. He's anybody in his path, he's beat them. He destroyed the Korean zombie, where the Korean zombie may be forced to retire after the physical toll that that took on him. And during the first round of the fight, Alexander Volvanovsky broke his thumb. And he continued to fight. It went five rounds, and he won the fight easily. He only continues to get better. And now after beating nearly everyone in the division, he's staring up saying, I want to fight the lightweight champion of the world, and we're going to wait and see where that stands. And I'll, I'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah, I mentioned Yair Rodriguez, who just won his fight against Brian Ortega. He wants to fight Volvanovsky. Volvanovsky wants to move up. And what I love about Volk is that he doesn't mind two guys fighting for the interim title, meaning he's injured. He won't be able to fight until 2023. And he's telling Yair Rodriguez and Josh Emmett, who won a controversial fight, in my opinion, against Calvin Cater a few weeks ago. To me, Calvin won the fight. They give it to Josh Emmett. It was extremely close and a really entertaining fight. To me, in the championship rounds, four and five, Cater was by far the better fighter, but they gave the, the decision to Emmett. And Emmett's been on a, on a winning streak. Rodriguez has been on a winning streak. 
And these two, to me, should fight for the interim belt, meaning they fight likely. I mean, Rodriguez just fought, but he didn't take a big pounding. Emmett fought a month or so ago. Potentially, I don't think they'll book the fight for Abu Dhabi, where in October, October 22nd, we're going to have a pay-per-view over in Abu Dhabi featuring Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira and some uh, a Bantamweight uh, fight as well. But these two could fight in November in Madison Square Garden. Potentially, you need a title fight on that card. Potentially, you could have uh, Yuri Proska versus Glover Teixeira too. And then this, this fight could be the second on the card, the, uh, the, the undercard, if you will, like they're doing next weekend for UFC 277. But what I, what I love about Volk is you see in the flyweight division, Davison Figueredo, who is a really entertaining fighter, I like him a lot, has been bitching and complaining about the fact that Kai Kara France and Brandon Moreno are fighting for an interim belt. He's out injured, he's complaining about his pay, and he thinks the UFC is disrespecting him for having two guys fight for an interim for the interim uh, strap. To me, the interim belt doesn't mean you're champion. It, it determines that you are the number one contender. It does not give you... Like Dustin Poirier has never been a champion, in my opinion. Yes, he's been the interim champion multiple times. He's uh, Justin Gaethje's been interim champion. But when you go in that cage, when you fight the champion, if you don't win that fight, then you never were. You just were the number one contender, and you held, you were a placeholder until the champion eventually put you out of your misery and put you back in your place. To me, these Volk saying go fight is because he's not afraid of either of them. He doesn't want to hold the division up, which I respect as well. And to me, Volk has proven time and time again that he will fight whenever. He fought the Korean Zombie in April. He just fought again last week. He's an active fighter. He's a fighting champion. He's not afraid to step in the cage with anybody. And so, number one, I would green light this fight. Again, put it in November, the undercard of the uh, of the Madison Square Garden. I think they'll want something big on that card. Potentially, we see John Jones, Stipe Miocic. I want to see that fight desperately by the end of the year. I don't know if we will because it's gone really quiet on that front. But that's a fight I really want to see it at heavyweight. But you could still throw this on the card. Maybe you throw it in the last pay-per-view of the year in December. Whatever you want to do with it. But these two could fight sooner rather than later. But moving on from that, it was announced this week that Islam Makachev and Charles Oliveira are going to meet for the interim lightweight championship. Charles lost the belt in May because he missed weight. He was 0.2 pounds over the limit, and when you are a champion and you fail to make weight, you are stripped of the title. You are no longer champion. He went on to beat Justin Gaethje that weekend, got him with, with a guillotine, but it doesn't matter. You miss weight, you lose the belt. You cannot like the rule, but it's the rule. And Oliveira will be looking to reclaim what he believes is still his. Uh, to me, everybody still calls him the champion. And Islam Makachev is the, the next coming of Habib Nurmagomedov. He is the... Uh, uh, Habib is his coach. He's in his corner. And you constantly see Habib when Islam goes to fight. And Islam is just like Habib. He's small, but he's strong as an ox. He can get you on the ground. He will force you to submit. 
To me, he's got stronger hands than people give him credit for. And this fight is going to be must-see in Abu Dhabi in October. These two stylistically are similar. Where Oliveira can knock you out. He knocked out Michael Chandler to win the belt originally. But you look at the way he's beaten the last couple guys. Poirier. He's taken a beating in the first round. Poirier goes to the ground to see if he can knock him out. And it's in that time frame. Oliveira is able to recover. And he gets him in a, in a submission. You're not getting out of it. Same thing in this last fight. Where Gaethje got a great punch on, on Oliveira. Oliveira dropped. But Oliveira was able to survive it. Gaethje's on the ground with him. He's in a submission. The fight is over before we know it. Gaethje and uh, Poirier are both good fighters. They're both guys that deserve respect. They're two guys in the industry that have been around forever. They've both been interim champion. They've both been in the ring with some of the best fighters in the history of the sport. But Makachev is not going to be like these two guys. Gaethje and Poirier's number one skill is to knock the other person out in a fight. And when they see blood, they're going to strike. But to me, Islam is sur is a surgeon. He's like Habib. Habib might knock somebody down if he sees that he could be in a compromised position when he goes to the ground to engage with, with his opponent. He's not going to. He'll wait. He'll pick his spot. He'll get a takedown and work you until he can physically beat you, until you don't have anything left, you give in, and then the submission's in. Islam is like that. He won't be afraid to go to the ground with Charles Oliveira. Every other fighter that Charles has been in the cage with lately is. They're just not comfortable with it. They need to stay on their feet. The second they get to the ground, the fight is over. These two are very similar. Charles likely has better hands. He's knocked the guy out, but I mentioned Islam can, can bang too. He can throw a good punch. He beat Bobby Green in his last fight. And, you know, he was supposed to fight Benil Darush, but Darush got hurt. And I have no problem with this matchup. And the reason is because Makachev is in the division. He, he should be the guy that gets this opportunity. He's winning fights. He is the next coming. There are guys that get opportunities with, with fights that don't necessarily have a whole lot of cachet. Look at Alex. Uh, look at Alex Pereira. He he beat Sean Strickland. That's his one noteworthy win on his resume. He had two UFC fights before the Sean Strickland fight, and now he's going to get the next shot at Izzy Adesanya. Multiple guys would say we had to work our ass to get an opportunity. Unfortunately, that's not how the UFC works. If a fight's going to sell, if a fight's going to do ratings, the UFC is going to make that fight. And in this case, this fight is a must-see. It's in Abu Dhabi. It's a marquee event. The UFC, like the Live Tour, loves doing business in Abu Dhabi. It is a, it's a big thing for them. Abu Dhabi saved the UFC, saved pro sports in a sense, during COVID where nobody could fight. They had, they had these guys over there fighting in the United uh, Emirates. And now they go back at least once a year to do damage again and again. But after these two fight, the winner, it'll be a battle. It'll be a, and, but to me, after these two fight, the winner should fight Alexander Volkanovsky. Yes, he's the featherweight champion and he's defended the belt, but he should not have to relinquish the featherweight belt and also fight for the lightweight. He deserves this opportunity. Izzy Adesanya got this opportunity against, um, uh, Jan Blachowicz, sorry. 
He got this opportunity against John Blachowicz. He lost the fight. But Izzy was given the opportunity because he was so successful at his weight class. He got, he got it because he defended his title so many times. And quite frankly, the UFC is tired of seeing a guy win. They're like, we'll give you a new opportunity. Volvanovsky deserves this opportunity. He's beaten everybody. He's beaten everybody in that division. Josh Emmett would stand up and say, he hasn't beaten me. Okay, I get it. But he can beat you after he beats the winner of this fight. But you have a great fight October 22nd. Volvanovsky should get the, the winner of these two in 2023. It's rumored that in January 2023, the UFC is going to Australia. Volk is from Australia. He's loved over there. He comes out to uh, down under the, um, the, the the song there, and he he's loved in Australia. So if these guys aren't too beat up after their title bout in October, that should be what the UFC does. Have these two, have the winner of this fight Volk in Australia for the title. And to me, knowing Volk, he'll win that fight and he'll he'll fight Emmett or he'll fight Rodriguez in early 2023. By April, they'll have their title opportunity. Most guys wait longer. Most guys have to wait a long time. We look at the heavyweight division. It's being held up for an entire year. Because we had Fran Francis Ngannou fight in January. Tours ACL. He beat Cyril Gaon. Since then, he has not fought, and we haven't seen Stipe Miocic, who was the former champion, fight since he lost to Nganu in 2021. We haven't seen John Jones fight. Tai Tuivasa hasn't fought since March. He will get Cyril Ghan in September. But the heavyweight division has practically gone cold. Alexander Volkov has fought. Derek Lewis will step back into the octagon next weekend. We've seen the rise of, of Romanov. We've seen the rise of Aspinall. But it's been a little staggered. The division has gone cold. So for Volvanovsky to get an opportunity to move up and then fight the winner of Emmett Rodriguez in April, potentially even May, that is on course for the UFC. That is typ typically how they do business. And what I like about this scenario is that everybody wins. Rodriguez and Emmett deserve to fight for the interim belt. They deserve an opportunity to, to see if they can beat Bulk. They're going to get that. They have to beat the, offer, the, the other. Go beat that guy. You get an opportunity to be the true champion. Makachev and Oliveira deserve to fight for the lightweight championship. They're the two best lightweights in the world, in my opinion. They get to fight, square off. Who's the true champion? We've heard forever that Islam is going to be the next one. He can prove it. Our Charles can continue to show everybody that he just might be the greatest lightweight in the history of the UFC. The way Charles is going, his weight cut will hurt him when it comes to legacy. That scandal will hurt him long-term. But if he continues to beat people, if he beats legitimate fighters, if he gets an opportunity at bulk and beats him, he will only continue to rise in the ranks and be looked at as one of the greatest ever. So these two deserve it. And then the winner would get Volk. And Volk deserves the opportunity that Israel Adianza got. Daniel Cormier was a lightweight. He got the opportunity to be a heavyweight champion, to be a dual champion. Men that defend their title, beat everyone in the division, 
show what they're made of and do it effectively deserve the opportunity to move up. So I appreciate that the UFC is going down this path. Cormier is in the UFC Hall of Fame. Izzy is going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. Volk, the way he's going, is absolutely going to be in the UFC Hall of Fame. If a guy defends his belt once and he wants to move up, no. I hear Alamein Sterling talk about how he wants to move up and fight in a higher weight class. He wants to potentially go up against Kamara Usman, move up to 170. Alamein Sterling doesn't deserve to do that. Then strip him of his belt. Because he's def- the only time he's defended, he defended his belt against Pewter Yan. I'm not sure he won the fight, quite frankly. The other time, he, the way he won the belt was by disqualification, which still doesn't sit well with me. But when guys are winning consecutively, when they're defending their title, when they're active fighters, when they're when the UFC says, can you fight this time? And they say, yes, it's not a big contract hold up. They just get the job done. They deserve an opportunity to get better, to make more money. Whatever they desire, let them do it. And I credit the UFC for coming up with this decision so far. And again, both, to me, Volfanovski versus Makachev Oliver is easy. I see them making that because it's going to sell. It's a huge fight for early 2023. It sets your, your pay-per-view card off with a bang. So I don't think it'll be a tough sell for the UFC to go in this direction. But I like what they're doing here. I like that this is the way that it's going. Also, the UFC announced this week that they announced a few fights. We're going to start with this one in the in the welterweight division. And that is that Kamzat Chemaev, one of the biggest stars in all the sports right now, the up-and-coming, the guy who just beat Gilbert Burns in a fantastic three-round fight. It was a war. Chemaev, it was the first time Chemaev has had any kind of pressure. It's the first time he had any competition. He fought uh, Lee Yiling, and he beat him easily. He dragged him around the, around the octagon. Chemaev had to fight, had to win a war to get by Gilbert Burns, and he did it. So now Chemaev is sitting. There's potentially rumors about fighting Colby Covington. To me, it doesn't seem like Colby Covington is active right now. I don't know if he's injured, but Dana White's been very noncommittal on where he's going to fight when he's going to return to the octagon. So that wasn't really an option. Jorge Masvidal is in court. He's also, I don't really know who Masvidal's next fight is going to be. So he's hung up. He's not exactly an option for Chemaev. But there was an option for Chemaev that was a little outside the box. There was an option for Chemaev that wasn't a a big name in, in the division when it comes to rankings, when it comes to title contender, and that's Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz, who hasn't fought since losing to Leon Edwards in 2021. Nate Diaz, who lost two fights in a row, although Nate Diaz is truly one of the legends of the UFC. He's a street fighter. Him and his brother were great ambassadors for the sport. They they were just guys that loved to fight. They would step in a cage, do their business, get the hell beat out of them, not always win, but have great results. And Nate Diaz has two of the highest selling pay-per-views in the history of the UFC. He truly is a star. Yes, Conor McGregor is a superstar. Yes, Conor McGregor is a, is a box office seller. People will tune in just to watch him, just to watch him fight. 
but nobody can make the argument to me that McGregor is as big of a star. He wouldn't be as big of a star as he was today if he did not fight Nate Diaz twice because Nate Diaz was the man from Cali. He was from Sacramento. He was the guy that on the street that would fight anybody for any kind of money. He wasn't afraid. He wouldn't back down. He'd step in the cage and do it. And looking at Chamaya versus Diaz on September 10th, it very much resembles that on both sides. I'm going to start with Diaz. I mentioned Diaz will fight anybody, anywhere. It doesn't matter. He's complained about not having a fight for, for months. At first, I thought he was going to fight Dustin Poirier, which I was excited about. I thought that would sell well for the UFC. But it didn't materialize. I don't know why. I think for Dustin, he potentially wants to, it's rumored now he's going to fight Benil Darouche, who is coming off injury but is high in the, in the division. And I believe he wants to get back in the title opportunity sooner rather than later. And a fight against Diaz wouldn't do it. So I understand that. Then you hear Diaz rumored with a number of different guys, but nothing materializes. So, well, Diaz is not afraid of anybody. Kamsat Chemaev has been scaring the UFC world for a long time. Gilbert Burns deserved a ton of credit for stepping inside the octagon with Chemaev because Chemaev is a boogeyman. He's a ghost. He's the guy that people run from, and he battled. He nearly won the fight, and it was, it was a great showing for Gilbert Burns. But Chemaev won. He still has this aura about him, and he jumped all the way to number three in the rankings. And you thought, well, maybe Chemaev will sit. He'll wait around, and he'll get the winner of Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards next month at UFC 278. But no. Diaz would fight anybody. He doesn't care. He's a kamikaze. Diaz, his UFC contract ends at the end of September. So the UFC had basically two months to set up a fight for Diaz so that his contract wouldn't run out with a fight remaining on it. And Diaz is crazy enough to fight Chemaev. And Chemaev is such a star already, but to me, I think Chemaev looks at this and says, I can beat Nate Diaz and I can retire Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz has said for months, as I mentioned, he wants out of the UFC. He doesn't want to do it anymore. He hates Dana White. They've been holding him up. They don't give their guys opportunities. And to me, Nate Diaz wants to become a boxer. Maybe not for a long time, but he wants to fight Jake Paul and beat the hell out of him. Jake Paul, for better or for worse, in the sports entertainment game right now, is a sell. He's fighting next month against a pro boxer. It's the first pro boxer he's fighting, a guy who's won multiple knockout fights. We'll see how that goes for Jake, but I give him credit for stepping in with somebody that's not a non-YouTuber or some you know, jerk-off Nate Robinson who used to play in the NBA. Nate Diaz wants to go into that realm because guess what? It makes you a hell of a lot of money. There's more money in boxing than there is in, in fighting. Dana White might make a lot of money, but some of these fighters don't. But I think Chemaev looks at it and says, I can be the legend killer. I can put an end to the Nate Diaz era. I can put him in the grave. And everybody will remember that it was Kamzat Chemaev that ended Nate Diaz's career. A truly a send-off of all send-offs for Chemayev to say, I did this. I'm the one that ended his career. I'm going to knock him the hell out. Not many people are able to do it. I'm going to do it in this fight. 
Chemaev is a much better technical fighter. Chemaev is much younger than Nate Diaz. Nate Diaz hasn't fought in nearly two years. I don't love this for Nate Diaz. To me, I think he's going to get destroyed in this fight because Chemaev is just so primed. He's young. He's dominant. But it makes all the sense in the world for the UFC, for the promotion, to book this fight. Because Chemaev's a star. Nate Diaz is a legend. And this will do great on pay-per-view buys. It just will because these two are big names. They're spotlight guys. And what's even crazy is I don't believe you're going to have a, a title fight on this card. It's going to be a pay-per-view. I mentioned September 10th. To me, this is this is a, already announced a five-round fight. This is good practice for Kamzat Shemaev. He's never been in a, a, a five-round fight. It's all three rounds so far. He fought Burns. It was a three-round fight. He gets an opportunity to go five rounds to prove to himself that he can do it, see what the cardio takes. Because to me, Chemaev is doing the UFC a favor, just like the UFC did Kamzat a favor when they gave him Gilbert Burns. Gilbert Burns was number three in the division. He had he had no business fighting Chemaev when Chemaev was so uh, ranked so low. But he was a star, and Burns wasn't afraid, and he and he fought. Kudos to him. Chemaev's going to fight Diaz. Diaz is retiring. He won't be in the UFC in three months' time. Chemaev will, will fight Diaz. He will beat him. And because he, they did them a favor, because he's a star, and because he, he's willing to take these fights, he's not afraid of anybody, Chemaev will still get rewarded in the end because he will get the winner of Kamara Usman and Leon Edwards. That's what this is building towards. Usman has beaten Covington twice. And both times I felt he won them pretty easily. In particular, the second fight. We saw Holloway, Volvanovsky can only fight each other so many times before it gets boring and before you say, you know what, I've seen enough of that. Usman's beaten Masvidal twice. If he beats Edwards, he'll beat Edwards twice. He's beaten Gilbert Burns. You go through that division, he's beaten everybody. That leaves Kamzat. Usman beats Edwards. Kamzat beats Diaz. They fight in early 2022. They fight in the new year for the belt, and it is the best pound for Volkanovski surpassed Usman, which I don't understand, but Usman is the best pound for pound fighter in the UFC. He just is. His punching power, the way he's in the ring, and just the way he presents himself, he's such a dangerous fighter. We have the number one pound for pound fighter in the world, and you have the biggest prospect in the UFC, you could argue, since Conor McGregor, against one of the best champions of his generation. That's the fight everybody wants. Edwards deserves a look at a championship. Maybe Edwards will pull off an upset. I don't think so. Usman's too good. Edwards deserves an opportunity to win the title. He'll get that opportunity next month. But Chemaev Usman is on the horizon. It's the fight the UFC wants to make so bad because it, it's absolutely the marquee fight. It'll make... I mean, Usman's already, I've mentioned he's beaten a lot of great fighters. Masvidal twice. Covington twice. It'll be Edwards twice. If he can beat Kamzat Chemaev, he, if he could knock out Kamzat Chemaev, he's already a great fighter. He's already a Hall of Famer. To me, if he can beat 
the arc for Usman would be beat Edwards, beat Chemaev, he moves up. He moves up potentially, and he can do a number of different things. Does he want to become? Does he want to become a light heavyweight? Does he want to fight? That division's a little thin. Does he want to try to become light heavyweight champion of the world? It's these type of wins that Volvanovsky, that Adianza have, have done. He could move up and fight Izzy at one eighty five. That'd be fun. It's these type of wins, it's these type of marquee events that you say, you know what? This guy deserves an opportunity to do what he wants because he's beaten everybody that I've asked him to fight. Izzy, Usman, Volvanovsky, these guys have done it. And they continue to make a name for themselves. So that's featherweight update. That's the welterweight update when it comes to um, Usman and Chemaev and where I see that going. Now there's Bantamweight. And the Bantamweight division, I mentioned, it's been cloudy for a long time because right now the champion is Alamein Sterling. And Sterling, to me, is not a true champion. He beat Pewter Jan. It was a questionable decision. To me, it wasn't a clean win. And he he's a guy that is just he just doesn't seem like a champion. And behind him, you have TJ Dillashaw, who's been busted for performance-enhancing drugs, steroids, and you know my stance on steroids. Once you once you test positive for steroids, you're a drug cheat, you're not a champion, you're a loser, and Dillashaw is in that division. And then you got Pewter Jan, who I like, who is a former champion, but he lost to Sterling, so he's got a lot to, to prove. So this division's full of guys that nece- don't necessarily bring it like a Volvanovsky. Like the, it's, it's very much... It's unknown at this point who is the great fighters in this division. Is there a guy that you can really sell as a great guy, as, as a marquee in the sport? But the UFC has announced an, a few fights. So for October, they announced that Alamein Sterling will defend his Bantamweight title against TJ Dillashaw. That will come in October. It'll be a big fight. And obviously, it's for the title. Dillashaw was out for two years because of the PED ban. He's come back. He beat Corey Sanhagen last year to get this opportunity. And it's it's a big one for him. He he gets up to reclaim the title to beat Sterling. He you know he said forever he's still the champion. He never lost it, although he got busted for drugs. So he's a drug cheat. But Sterling and Dillashaw will fight. I will say this. Dillashaw is an entertaining fighter. Sterling's very unorthodox. He's a guy that can make it difficult on the opponent because he can get you to the ground and he and he's tricky when he gets you down there. That's what happened to, to Pewter Jan. Jan is very much a striker. He will knock your head off if you give him the opportunity. You know, I, I think of Jose Aldo, who I have so much respect for, who is one of the best fighters in the history of the UFC. Pewter Jan beat the hell out of Jose Aldo. I remember, This was a number of years ago, and I thought Jose Aldo's career was over because Pewter made him look silly. It wasn't even close. Aldo had the hell beaten out of him. And you saw after the match that he was really defeated. It was, an, it was a no contest. It was just all yawn all night. Now, the crazy thing is that Jose Aldo's bounced back. He hasn't lost a fight since. And he continues to climb the ranks. He'll fight Mirab Dashashvili in September on a UFC fight night card. And 
He looks like a great guy. It look, looks like a great fighter. Looks like a guy that could do business. But as we currently stand in this division, you have Sterling. Peter Yawn is the number one ranked. Yawn lost the last fight. He won't get the next to fight Dillashaw. You have Jose Aldo. As I mentioned, he's going to fight Mirab Davashvili. Davashvili's ranked six. So a big fight for both guys. If Aldo can win that fight, I find it hard to believe he won't be in the discussion when it comes to the next guy to get to get an opportunity at at the title because he's so well liked because he's a veteran. Now I had that opinion until I'm going to say that until I saw another big announcement. And that was that Peter Yan in the same card in October in Abu Dhabi will fight. Sugar Sean O'Malley. Like Kamzat Chemaev, Sugar Sean O'Malley is one of the biggest stars in the sport. He is Sugar Sean. He's got the hair. He's got the charisma. He's a great interview. He is a great promoter. He knows what it takes to sell fights. He knows what he has to do to get people's attention. He knows people are going to like him. People are going to hate him. but he's entertaining. He wins a lot of fights. And when he does, he hits a knockout and then he does the, the uh, Kobe Bryant jumper. This is an interesting one because Pewter Yawn, as I mentioned, is the number one ranked behind the champion in this division. Yawn will fight Sean O'Malley, who is ranked 13th. This is unheard of, but I mentioned... Guys get preferential treatment. There are guys, because they're such stars, they will get opportunities that other guys won't. Looking at this, everybody's got a fight. I will point that out. But Corey Sanhagen is ranked number four. His next fight is coming up against Song, Song Yadong. He's ranked 10th. There's no way that they're going to get an opportunity above these guys. They're not in a pay-per-view. So that's just what happens. These two have been beefing on Twitter for a long time. Sean O'Malley and, and Peter Yon. And I, I'm, I'm okay with this. Now, obviously, I prefer guys to get opportunities that they deserve. But something I will say that the UFC has done well in covering up that he's getting such a leap, such a, a potential. If he wins this fight, to me, he's the number one contender. Sean O'Malley. He will get he will be the number one contender if he beats Pewter Yon. He will get the winner of Dillashaw Sterling in 20 in the early months of 2023. Because that's just the way it works. He would have beaten the, the number one ranked in the division. He will rise in the rankings. I think he'll be number one and he'll get that opportunity. He will get that. And it's it's crazy, but this is their loophole. So you have Dillashaw fighting Sterling. So there's a fight. Jose Aldo is fighting Mirab Dajashvili in a couple weeks at, at the, at the, uh, at the, they might have their own card. I forget. There's a lot of different, no, that's on a, that's on USC 278 in, in uh, August. So that's in a couple weeks. So there's a fight. Marlon Vera is ranked number five. He's on a fight night card coming up against Dominic Cruz. So you have Vera against Dominic Cruz. That's five versus eight coming up. So the UFC is doing a good job of working their way 
into making fights seem like they're legitimate when they might not be, but I'm okay with it because I love watching Sugar Sean O'Malley and he's, he's just a star. But as I see our guest is coming in, he's also a star and there's not many podcasts in my opinion anywhere where you can get the legitimate thoughts of a Columbus Jackets fan on getting Johnny Gaudreau. So I said it, it's only fitting that I had Benny back on the podcast this week, but uh, Benny, I know you've been battling through a, a COVID uh, scare. How are things going on that end, my friend? What an introduction right there. I appreciate it. But uh, yeah, COVID. Yeah. Can you hear me? Might be on my end. Just a second here. I, uh, this happens occasionally. Do I got you now? Can you hear me now, Jug? Yeah, I got you now. Perfect. How, how, are, there, how are things I, going on the uh, the COVID front? Sir, I don't know if I was live there. I just gave all your listeners a uh, pitch on why Columbus is the greatest city in the world. So uh, they all heard that. But uh, no, uh, thanks. I appreciate having me back on. And I feel great at this point. I, uh, this is my last day of isolation. So at this point, like maybe road's a little scratchy, but we're, we're doing good. We're pushing through on board so right yeah i hear you there uh especially with the great weather i don't how how is it up your way been been warm uh yeah it's it's real hot the last couple of days so it's pretty miserable yesterday actually so at least that sort of takes away the pain a little bit but it's like bright and sunny today so right we'll see. i'm like going on a walk later i need i need some fresh air like i literally just haven't left the apartment in like days so it's miserable but what can you do <laughs> So, yeah, I when last week is last Wednesday, what were your thoughts about the seven o'clock your time? I, I remember I was out on a walk myself and I saw that Johnny Gaudreau was a Columbus Blue Jacket. What, what, what were your thoughts when that came across came across your timeline? It was insane because. I'd be lying if I told you, I think any Columbus fan would be lying if they told you that going into that day, they thought signing Goudreau was like a realistic option at all. There was that like, there's one report that came out probably like mid afternoon, maybe, maybe early afternoon. It's like, Oh, Columbus offered like a whopping uh, seven times 12 deal. And I, I saw that, but I mean, it's Columbus, right? So nothing good ever happens. I'm like, Oh, good for them going big dog hunting again, but nothing's going to come of it. Right. And then, uh, so I was actually, when the news broke, I was in the middle of a slow pitch game. So I didn't get the the live sort of feed on my phone. But I checked my phone like halfway through the game and I had like 
20 text messages from like a bunch of random people I barely talked to. I'm like, what just happened? Like, did somebody just die? Like, what's going on here? And sure enough, open my phone. Everyone's like, Johnny Hawkins to Columbus, Johnny Hawkins to Columbus. I'm like, like I had to instantly just open Twitter because I needed like a blue check mark to tell me right. it was legit. I've like just stunned. Like I was like that stuff doesn't happen to Columbus, right? So I I mean stunned was my reaction. And I'm like, wow, that's cool. Like even just like you can break it down from a hockey perspective all you want, but the instant reaction, like I just didn't wasn't even thinking hockey. I'm like, this is so big for the team that's had that perception they can't get anybody their whole like history of the franchise. And like it's just such an uplifting feeling and like the instant reaction around the city and for the team too, I think is huge. Like I've seen season ticket sales, like after he signed were skyrocketed compared to what they uh, normally are at this time of the year. So uh, it's just such a, an uplifting day and an uplifting signing for the franchise as a whole. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And my, my next thought is, do you understand why he signed in Columbus? Uh, no, it's a bit bizarre. I'll be honest, but you know, I, <laughs> I care. No, no, I don't really care. Um, but I, I have gotten a little a bit fed up. Everyone loves like to rip on Columbus and there's so many, I don't even know if they're playful jobs. People are legitimately like, why Columbus, why Columbus? And I, I'm at the point now where like, you want to question it from like a hockey perspective alone. I'm like, fine, like nitpick that all you want. It probably is a bit of a weird decision i won't like argue that too much um but like the actual city of columbus and like why he went to columbus like he's answered the question a million times and i know he's answered it sort of like a hockey player where they're answering it but not in like the most detailed way at all but like just let the guy live like columbus isn't that bad he's like well i wanted to be closer to my family but not too home not too close or whatever so like okay a bit relatable he's like they got great neighborhoods. They got good golf courses. I think it'll be a good fit. And people are still like, oh, but why Columbus? He's like, well, they have a young team. I think they can be good in a couple of years. People are like, oh, why Columbus? Why Columbus? It's like, how many times do you want this guy to answer the question? Just Columbus isn't that crazy of a city. So that drives me a bit nuts, but whatever. We're used to it. Yeah, I got to rely on you and Doug McClain to sell me on Columbus because every time I have Doug on, he he seems to do it. And it doesn't sound that I know you got Muirfield Village is near Columbus, Jack's course uh, that they play the the Memorial every day, so go, uh, every year in golf. So good sell There's, there. From what I hear and everything I've read, like one of the best spots like in the NHL for in terms of like golf courses and country clubs around. And just in terms of like the suburbs too, like, I mean, Cam Atkinson's probably been the biggest advocate. And I know Johnny's talked about, about how much right. influenced him to go there, but the suburbs, everything I hear about it are great. And you hear a lot of guys that stay around Columbus after they're done playing, right? And uh, it was Jack Johnson too, the highlights of him walking around uh, Dublin, which is another little suburb of Columbus with the cup last week. So these guys, right there and i think it's it's not like probably where like the the 21 22 year olds maybe want to play but when you are ready to sort of settle down um and start that family i do think it's hopefully going to start to become a lot more of a legitimate option for a lot of bigger names 
And to be fair, Rick Nash came back. He works for the team now. So clearly he liked the city enough that he'll work there. Uh, Jody Shelley obviously loves Columbus. I think he does still does their local, uh, I think he calls their local games. I think. Yeah, he does the color, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's actually pretty good at it. I, he's, uh, he's pretty good. See, I, I don't know. Again, Columbus, Calgary. I mean, Calgary's weather sucks. Let's be fair. Uh, living in the United States right now, it, as crazy as it sounds with the shootings and everything else, is crazy. But Canada, Canada has their own problems. We got, we got, we, we got plenty up here. Uh, but I mean, looking at the Columbus as a hockey situation. Is there anybody happier than Patrick Laine that that Johnny Goudreau is a is a Blue Jacket? No, I mean that guy's got to be thrilled, and I think there were some comments that came out. Apparently, somebody was speaking to him, and he was pretty happy when that signing happened, as you can imagine. Uh, the big thing now, though, is like they got to actually sign him, right? So mm-hmm. they gave him a qualifying offer, but after the Goudreau signing, they still need to they need to shed some money now, which is seems a bit weird looking at their cap situation like a week ago where they had like boatloads of money to spend. And now they got to get rid of somebody in order to sign line. But it, everything I hear, it sounds like it's going to get done. It's only a matter of time, but they're going to be fun to watch. They're going to be real fun to watch together. Cause I mean, the way line, can obviously shoot the puck. I think like sometimes you question like his motivation out there on the ice a little bit, but I think if you put him like with a player like that, I think it automatically sort of motivates you to want to be a better player. And I think uh, the two of them together will be a lot of fun to watch both five on five and on the power play. And I think this is, I think this is unfairly labeled to players. He might want to go to Columbus and they might not, I don't think they'll be great next year. They, they maybe push for the playoffs, but if I had to guess they miss, but maybe he wants to play, and when he does have success, he doesn't have the bullet on him every day. In Calgary, he was a whipping boy a lot of the time. Kachuk was more loved than Goudreau, so I think Goudreau took a lot of the lumps. Where if he has a bad season, if he has a good season in Columbus, it's it won't really be talked about as much, and maybe that's just Goudreau's personality. Well, I completely agree with that. And, I mean, you can't blame a guy. If you want to question him, yeah, go ahead. But – he does seem like a more like laid back sort of personality type of guy. And I, I do feel like that Canadian media, it, it, we've seen it with a lot of guys, I feel like, and it's starting to become maybe a little bit of a theme, but uh, it can wear on you. And I mean, I'll never be able to sit in those guys' shoes, obviously, but I can only imagine just every game you play, like you're under the microscope, right? You one little wrong thing and that can change the fortunes on the the a thousand good things that you did. All it takes is one little thing and you're just constantly getting ripped. So I can't imagine that's very fun. Um, some guys I'm sure are better at putting up with it than others. So uh, yeah, Johnny does seem like a, a laid back guy. And if that's it's his right to choose where he wanted to play and if that played a decision, I'm not complaining. <laughs> What was the what was another free agent decision that was either you think was a really good signing or a surprising one that you saw over last week? Uh, if you want to stick with my Blue Jackets, I thought Good Branson they paid way too much for him, but mm. I don't mind him like having him on the team. I think he's a solid like third uh, third pairing guy to have, big size, can kill penalties. But they gave him like I'm like, what are we doing here? That's a little too much. I'm sure he. 
signed that as fast as he could and, and ran. So uh, I thought that was an odd one that sort of got overshadowed by Goudreau, which is which was lucky. Um, I'm trying to think, it's, it's been a weird like the Cadre situation is still weird here. It's uh, the cap flat is really. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing a lot of weird things with these free agents. We just I was a Nita writer just signed today. So um, yeah, it's sort of been a weird free agency in a way that first time is fairly busy, but there's a lot of guys still waiting for the dominoes to fall. We see the, the NBA in baseball, there's a luxury tax and it, it, it does help teams that have a lot of money, but I do think, you know, Golden State is not exactly the Lakers, but they, they spend more money than everybody in basketball and they benefit from it. Do you think that it'll never happen with Gary Bettman because he's so steadfast against it, but the next commissioner, do you think hockey would be better off having a luxury tax that you don't have to spend over it and you potentially not spend over it and still win a cup, but having the ability for teams to go over the cap if they want to spend extra money to get, keep their good players. I don't think it would be a terrible idea. It would definitely be interesting to see. Uh, obviously, you know, like you said, Gary, Gary will never do it the way he is, but, um, I do think there is something to be said for rewarding owners who like are invested in their teams, like people like the Dodgers and you mentioned Golden mm-hmm. State, like they invest in their teams and they get rewarded for it. Right. Rather than teams like the Philadelphia Flyers where they're owned by, I don't know, that organization Comcast or whatever it is. And they every the crunching dollars every second so i do think it is important to reward owners and if they want to invest their money and get better product out of it i don't think that's a big deal so i I think it would be interesting to see i don't know if i see it happening in the nhl but you never know yeah because i look at the cadre situation and colorado to me it's quite evident they're trying to move money and you mentioned Car- uh, Columbus is trying to move money to sign Line. All these teams are trying to move money, and it's really hard because there's no cap space. None of these teams have any. Arizona can only take so many guys, and you only got so much to send back to those teams that, that they want. So, like To me, Kadri's would be – I think he's going back to Colorado. It's just when they can get rid of Sammy Gerrard or another player that they can fit him in, and it's, it's a holding pattern in, until they can figure that out. Yes, bizarre, and you're right. It's, it was Arizona and Anaheim, and I feel like there's one other team that basically just they're sitting there, and I mean they have all the leverage. They're just waiting. They know there's a lineup of teams looking to move money, and they're the only ones that can do it. So they're waiting for those deals to sweeten. And I'm I am curious to see uh, what they're gonna get, like the sweeteners and the deals mm-hmm. for taking money like i think they're gonna get a pretty good haul because uh like you said moving money is not an easy thing to do right now in the nhl if you're colorado's lost a lot of guys they're still a really good team if you ask me but if they get kadri back are they still a heavy favorite for you going into next season to me they gotta be they're still i mean they still have all their elite players i think recipe is well other than goaltending that's obviously the biggest question but i think you could say it was a question even going into last year kemper did play really well for the most part of the season i don't think he was fantastic in the playoffs but if you have 
I'd probably say the best defenseman in the game. You can argue one, two, three, maybe, but I'd probably put him one. Mm-hmm. Uh, argue top five forward in the game with McKinnon. Like you got those pieces right there, you're automatically going to be a contender. And then you give them the supporting cast that they still have. I mean, like you mentioned, a lot of good supporting players. They get Kadri especially, but still got Rantanen and Nikushkin. Uh, Skinner, they just signed and Taze on the back end. Like they're still absolutely loaded. So I I wouldn't be shocked at all to see them uh, right back in the finals where they were. Worst situation: uh, Pierre Luc Dubois in Winnipeg or Matthew Kachuk in Calgary? <laughs> for the team or the player? Uh, for the team. Yeah, it's an absolute mess for both, but I would yeah. probably say it, it's probably a worse situation for Winnipeg uh, simply because Dubois is locked in on one team and one team only, whereas at least Calgary seems to have a little bit of options where they want to give Kachuk, and I think they can get a better return, and he's a better player too, so I think that helps with their return. Uh, obviously, you hate to lose players of that caliber, but at least he gave them uh, that warning that he did kind of not mm-hmm. do that, I guess. Uh, the Dubois, like, I feel like Winnipeg's screwed because if you're Montreal, I don't know if you agree with this, but why on earth would you trade for Dubois in the next two years? You're not going to be a competitor, uh, so you may as well be as bad as possible and then sign him when he's a free agent. So don't give up any assets for him. He's single-minded on going to Montreal and Montreal only. So I think Winnipeg had a, a very tough spot. So it, it's funny how that one worked out. So hate to see that. Yeah, Winnipeg's and I they're they are in a tough spot and I agree with you. And you know, I'm here I'm looking, you know, the projected return is Christian Dvorak and a, and another P like I don't want Christian Dvorak. He's not a number two center. Like the, if Montreal's trading him, he can't be that good because they're they're giving away a centerman. I get they're getting a better one, but for Winnipeg, you're right. They're screwed because he's got this year, and then he can walk. So if you don't trade him, you lose him for nothing. You might have to settle for Christian Dvorak, who I don't want at all. But I'm wondering if you got him for a year. Winnipeg's an interesting spot because I think they should start rebuilding. Shifley's got a year left. This could be a time for them, just like Calgary to say, you know what, it's time for a reset. We're not going to win, although they both have elite goaltenders, which is a tough position to be in when, when players want out. But if, if they if, if they trade Dubois to another team, that team would know he's a rental, potentially at the trade deadline or midseason, but still I think you might get a better return than you would for Montreal and say, well, fuck where you want to go. You still have a year to play here. Sign with them in the offseason. Go try to win a cup in you know, Dallas or wherever it might be. Yeah, I think that no matter like where he goes, the return you're going to get is probably like, a little underwhelming. But like right. you said, why the heck would you want Dvorak on your team? Like it just, it doesn't make any sense. So if there's a way they can get a first rounder for anybody, I almost just say, take that and go. Because it's, it's a terrible situation you put them in. So I know, you know how I feel about Pierre Luc Dubois. So I'm not totally surprised. I know you wouldn't be. Yeah, you're not his biggest fan. <laughs> so, a little bit of a scummy move on his part, but 
Unfortunately, he can be a pretty good player when his mind's dead on it. I don't think he is. Like when his mind's yeah, he had a great year last year. Really so great season. As, and as a rental for a contender, like he could absolutely be a, a great player. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think you, you could trade him somewhere. I see, I see what Nashville's doing. They're aggressive. They signed Niederreiter. I think that's a really good signing today. Niederreiter, two years, $8 million. Uh, $4 million a year for a 29-year-old that is scoring 20 to 25 goals a year. I think that's a good signing. They brought Forsberg back. They don't get a whole lot of cap, but I think Dubois, it's, he doesn't make a whole lot of money right now, so it's not a huge chunk coming in. I think Nashville could be could be an interesting partner for them, potentially, if they really want to take a look at winning a cup with the core they have right now. That's a team that could make it work. I mentioned Dallas. I think the teams that miss out on Kachuk, I think all believe that they can win a cup in the short term and would be willing to take a chance on Dubois for a year and see what they can do there. Yeah, you're right. Nashville's an interesting one, too, because I've – I know they just signed Forsberg long-term and they got a pretty good goalie, but I still feel like their window is fairly short here. Yes. Uh, yeah. Take advantage of Duchesne. Well, I mean, I thought he was washed and done until last year, but he was outstanding last year. So I think we sort of got to take advantage of him in this window while he's still playing as prime. Uh, Yossi is obviously not getting any younger. I don't see too many concerns with him. He's an absolute beast still. Um, I do think their window is fairly short here so if they want to make that push and clearly like you said they're being aggressive so i think uh something they would entertain uh, i think that would be a little interesting trip for for rental for PLD. when it comes to kachuk i i he's getting i think unfairly criticized by people in calgary and the media at large for doing this he doesn't want to resign there. I understand why. Goudreau left. The team isn't going to be that good. They're not going to win a Stanley Cup. And he's going to be a free agent. He has every right to leave. I don't understand why people get up. Okay, you're in your feelings as a fan. He left your team. I, I get it. You you know very well what it's like to see good players leave Columbus. But, hey, you got over it. You didn't cry over your spilled milk. You move on. And to me, get, get what you can in return. I think that they can get a decent return for Kachuk because I would make it paramount that it's a sign and trade. He signs an eight-year extension wherever he goes, and you're going to get a better return because of it. So I, I, I would work on St. Louis because I think that's where he wants to go. I think that's his number one choice. But I think the Kachuk return for Calgary doesn't have to be as bad as maybe initially thought. No, I agree. And I think there's multiple teams in well, Of course, there's multiple teams mm -hmm. interested too. So it's not like a Dubois where just fighting against – a couple of rentals but you're like the sign and trade is imperative because they'll lock them down to those eight years and that rate there drives up the value that you can get for them uh we've seen a number of teams going around st louis is obviously the one that makes the the most sense in vegas vegas is such a weird team it's funny how they're like, i don't even how they do it <laughs> it makes no sense it's kind of weird too how they're angle is shifting like they were the darlings of the nhl when they first came in mm -hmm. the friendly underdog that everybody loved and now it, it started it feels like it's starting to turn a little bit where people sort of are, are getting a little bit tired of vegas i feel like so uh, i don't think many people want to see him go there uh, st louis by far makes the most sense i wouldn't be surprised and i feel like they have 
they could do something around like either Cairo or uh, Thomas to maybe get it done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would for sure want Cairo in return. I was talking about this yesterday with people and they're like, well, throw Tarasenko in the deal. I'm like, I don't want Tarasenko. No, He's no, a UFA not. at the end of you're trading a UFA for a UFA. He's a UFA at the end of this year. He's not re-signing in Calgary. I can guarantee you that. And the reason I know that is because he's Russian and because he's not playing in Canada. He's just not. He, he's going to – I look at Kachuk's list. Wherever Kachuk doesn't go, he'll go to one of these. He'll go to Vegas. He'll, he'll be in Dallas. He'll be in Florida, Nashville, New York. He'll be in one of those cities because it's warm. Or, yes, yeah. There's a, it's a good theme of all, where all these players want to go. It isn't – cold and uh, not a whole lot to do not, you know, it's not, it's not like columbus it's like you know uh it's it's more like uh arizona or something you know it's retirement communities these other ones so to me kairu is where i start i want i think he's a dynamic player kairu first and, and if you get a get a prospect doesn't have to be their best prospect i think that would be a good return for a player that is walking out the door anyway yeah, and like I, Calgary fans, I absolutely, like you said, I can relate to them more than most, I think. And the bright side, he did get you notice. So at least you're going to yes. get something from him. Like Seth Jones gave Columbus the notice there. And we, I think maybe Cleese Chicago is starting to look like. So uh, got to look at the bright side sometimes. But it's probably some dark days ahead for Calgary Flames fans. And, the worst building in the NHL too, from what I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not good. It's, it's, it's not good. Is there, do you think there's a reason why all these players don't want to sign in Canada? Or, or I, I think you're seeing around the league, a lot of great players aren't coming up to Canada. It, it's, I think there's a number of factors. I don't think they'll outright come and say it, but the COVID has got to play a huge part in it, especially mm -hmm. the American players. And it's, like it's you can't just go visit your family, right? Like there's so many things that go into crossing the border these days in the past couple of years. And when they were in the bubble, dude, like you couldn't, you just couldn't see your family for extended periods of time. And that matters for a lot of people, obviously. Um, right. So I think that's a huge part in the, in the media too. Like we talked about earlier, like that's, it's got to wear on you eventually. Like everybody's human. You can, take it and you can hide from it all you want and put on that straight face but uh, I think behind the closed doors it impacts a lot more of these guys than maybe we realize I'll be a shit disturber today and I'll drag you in with me how should should Leaf fans be nervous about Austin Matthews in two seasons I think was it John Scott that tweeted like yesterday yeah. he's like oh this is a future look at least or something like that uh I wouldn't feel good if I was a Leafs fan. There is something weird that it, it, I don't know if why I have this feeling, but it does feel like Austin Matthews sort of wants to be the one to bring a cup to Toronto. And I don't mm -hmm. know if, why I have that feeling. There's That's really not based on much. Um, I, I, I couldn't feel great about the situation. What's he have? Is it two years left he has? And then yeah. he's up. So it's, I wouldn't feel good, that's for sure. <laughs> I told my dad this the other day because he's a huge Leaf fan. I said if Patrick Kane, who's got a year left on his deal, ends up in, say, New York or in a really big market, that would raise my antenna. Because I think Kane and Matthews, they're good friends. We've seen them battle before. They really 
They're two of the greatest American player. Kane, the best American-born hockey player ever, in my opinion. He, they, they, they're friends. I think they, they love to compete against each other. But if they could play with each other the last couple of years of Kane's career, I think Austin would be willing to consider that. And if that meant leaving Toronto, I think you'd look into it. Imagine those guys and at MSG, the bright lights of New York. Mm-hmm. Like, it lines up. I, I have no troubles picturing that for sure, especially Patty Kane and those bright lights. And yeah, you said that their connection is strong. So that'd be interesting. Imagine them on the, the Yotes together battling for fourth place in the Pacific or whatever. I'm I'm on this opinion that the Yotes are going to turn it around, not when it comes to their play on the ice anytime soon, but the Yotes are going through all these arenas and it looks like they're going to be bankrupt tomorrow. But what I think people forget was that Pittsburgh was practically bankrupt when they got Crosby and they got Fleury and Malkin and they turned it around. I think Arizona, with the, they could get Bedard after this season. They're trying their damnedest to do it. Chicago's really trying to fight them for it but you get a couple really high-end top draft picks they just drafted Cooley third overall in this past year's draft if you get a stable arena maybe Arizona just isn't a hockey market but I'm not ruling out that they can have a, a second third fourth act whatever it is in Arizona and ultimately have a, a stable franchise there I think the key for them is they need a little bit of lottery luck because you mentioned Pittsburgh, but look who Pittsburgh got. They got Sidney Crosby, right. right? And that certainly helps a little bit. I think they need the the ping pong balls to just bounce in their favor just one time. And that time to do it would be next May or June or whatever when Connor Bedard is at the top mm-hmm. of the board. I think if they could do that, man, that would be huge. And I mean, they are Batman's, uh, if you want to go conspiracy theories here, they are Batman's little little pet project there so yes talking <laughs> thing but you feel like at this point he would have given them a little bit of more lottery luck already so maybe it's that's true they got the third pick this year that seems a little low it's got to be one or two right like they needed yeah he, yeah and have they ever like i feel no like, yeah no never been one so i don't know what's going on there yeah he's He's not doing it right. Like <laughs> Stern, Stern fixed it for the Knicks when they got when they got Patrick Ewing. Like, come on, he can do it one year for Arizona to get Bedard. If, if it happens next year, we know it's fixed. We called yeah, it. Yeah, I, th- I think next year is the big one for sure. I think right. yeah, that's if we know it's fixed, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, he didn't want them to get Heisher or get you know, Yakupov. Like, he had no interest in Arizona getting those type of players. He he want he wants the real superstars down at ASU. Is uh, Batman's low key like a great scout? He's got uh, he's got insight <laughs> on the Yaki Pops. He's like, we're not giving them this garbage. We're we're waiting for the generational talent here. So, good right. job, Gary. <laughs> what about JT Miller in Vancouver? Do you think he's do they find a way to work a deal out there? I, I like him a lot, but I, I he might be asking for a lot in the open market. Yeah, it's odd. It seemed like that trade was like close to almost being done like a month or so ago like right before the draft and now uh i mean there's still talks happening there but he's a really good player it sounds like new york is the sort of leading candidate to grab him i want him any day on my team i think his days are are numbered in vancouver and i think you can get a decent return for him um but yeah (laughs) i yeah i think for the for the islanders i'd love to have him in long, they need another. I think the Islanders are still a good team. I think they need another really high-profile player for for a second line type guy. 
the Rangers would love to have him back too. Uh, I'm sure. Like any any team, like you said, would love to have him because he's such a good player, and he can have such an impact on the team. Um, other, I'm just looking at thinking about other hockey stories here before we move on to baseball. But uh, expect before next season. Is there a team you're looking at that you're like, okay, they're going to have a big jump that we're a, a bad team to becoming a really good team for next season? Uh, I think Ottawa is probably the most obvious one there. And whether they'll be in the playoffs or not, I think they'll at least be competing. But I'm just excited for that division because that division mm. is going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think even Buffalo is going to be probably a lot better than maybe people think they will be. I think there's going to be a lot of good divisional games. Uh, the Battle of Ontario might even be back. Can we say it's back? Probably. I love their fans going at it on Twitter, like comparing conferences. So I think that's pretty funny. But I, I like Ottawa. I like the moves they did. Um, so I look at that division like it's going to be a lot of fun to watch next year. And that's probably uh, top of my list. Yeah, it might even be hard to get a ticket there. Yeah. <laughs> For once, yeah. <laughs> Normally you can get one like the day before a conference final game because I did it a couple of years ago. So there, it's not that hard if you're really uh, if yeah. uh, if you're in Ottawa. But maybe maybe they'll start selling tickets. I guess that's what happens when you're playing in the in the middle of nowhere. So. Yeah, good 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 arena plan there in Canada. Really <laughs> real easy to get there. Yeah, it's 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 a ball to go watch a game in Ottawa. Uh, your Blue Jays get back on the the field tomorrow. They, I think they had a good first half, but I think it was disappointing because you know they're the World Series favorite. They're well behind the Yankees. I hear about Juan Soto in, in trades that I think not going to happen. But to me, if you can get Juan Soto or, or get better bullpen and better starting pitching, I'll take the pitching this year because even if they acquired Juan Soto, they're not winning a World Series with with their pitching staff right now. Yeah, the the first half like. The best way I just describe it is bizarre. Like it was such a bizarre first half. Like it felt like their offense was terrible. At times it was, but then you look at the numbers and the offense is pretty good. Feels they they rock guys like Garrett Cole and Shane Bieber, and then they can't hit like Royals lefties from like ninety from Triple A. It's just really bizarre, but. Yeah, you mentioned the, pit, the pitching is far and away their biggest need. Would I say no to Juan Soto? Well, probably not. He's a generational guy. Like, mm-hmm. he's not a stud. But absolutely, like you said, they're not going to win a World Series with their current pitching, especially the bullpen. Like, uh, the beginning of the year, you saw flashes from guys. They're like, wow, if they can keep this up, like, things are looking good. But uh, as always happens or usually happens, uh, these guys haven't been good in the past for a reason, and it sort of comes back and the law of averages play out. And sure enough, we've seen that with a lot of their relievers now. Um, and the starters, too, like a lot of question marks. What the heck happens with Kikuchi? Is he coming back? And what's he look like when he comes back? Mm. Is that guy, he, oh, I felt bad for him at a certain point. Like, it was not pretty. So, and even... Barreos, like we've seen flashes where he's looked really good, but then the next start he comes back and doesn't look great again. So what does he look like? Um, there's just so many question marks with the uh, 
with the pitching that I think they, they got to address at the deadline or like you said, there's no chance they're, they're winning the World Series. I think the lineup is still good enough where they'll be in a wild card no problem, but uh, not going too far without more pitching. So one one starter for sure, trade deadline, a couple of relievers probably, one, one two. That, that would be ideal for sure if they can spin that, I think focus on the bullpen because at least in the playoffs if you are focusing for the playoffs now but obviously you got to make it there first you can at least go down to that three-man rotation but right the bullpen is huge because right now it's terrible but a starter down the stretch would also be uh, a very nice nice thing to have and and Juan Soto wouldn't be terrible either but like I said pitching is kind of the priority we've already got a pretty good and loaded outfield so uh, yeah, they're, I trust their bats. I think Vladdy will have a really good second half like he did last year. He really caught fire at the second half of last season. That's really where he did most of his damage. Bichette was better in the second half of last season, and his, de- his defensive play was better in the second half of last season too. And I think something for the Blue Jays is they play the Orioles a lot. I think they play them 14 times the remainder of the seasons. And although the Orioles are 500 at the All-Star break, which is crazy because – I can name Cedric Mullins and John Means, but about after that, I, I gets pretty thin, even for me, looking at the Orioles roster. But you play them 14 times, you got to win nine, ten of those games. As good as 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 competitive they've been this year, if you're winning the World Series, you want to put yourself in the best position. You got to dominate that head to head because, and and play well against the the Red Sox because they've they've played well against the Yankees so far this year. But controlling your division games is a key to to making the postseason. I think one of the big differences between teams like the Jays and like the Yankees and the teams at the top, it's like those Yankees, they're they're beaten down on the bad teams, right? Like the Jays, mm-hmm. on that nine game or whatever, how many losing streak they were on, uh, like they bad losses to some bad teams there. Um, whereas the Yankees are going into those years and anything other than a sweep is considered a failure. And then for the most part, they're doing that. They're laying a beat down on those bad teams. And the first half of the year, the Jays just weren't able to do that consistently enough. So it's uh, got to take advantage of those games against the Orioles, like you said. Um, hopefully they can do that and make that push up without scale wildcard. I think it's going to be a pretty fun race down the stretch. There's uh, quite a few teams involved. <laughs> I guess Baltimore is in the race, so uh, you got to include them in that, which is wild. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I wouldn't rule out the White Sox. They're a team for me the second half of the year. I will, I've been saying it all year, but I think they'll find it. They're too good. Like I look at the Twins. They're a great story. Like Luis Arias, their leadoff hitter is batting 346, which is crazy because the average in – the average baseball is under 240 this year, so that just tells you how how good he's hitting. And Correa has been a good fit, and Buxton that they've had. Sonny Gray was a great trade from the Cincinnati Reds, but I expect the White Sox to be better. I, I said before the season I thought Seattle would make the playoffs. I'm not going to back off that opinion, and they're really fun to watch too. Julio Rodriguez is just a star. JP Crawford. I, I almost lean, Benny, that I think the Blue Jays are definitely going to get a wild card spot. I would lean that the uh, Rays will keep one. I, I think Seattle, it's a battle between Seattle and Chicago because I think the Red Sox are going to fall off because I just don't think they're as good as as the other couple teams. 
I think Seattle's a real interesting team to keep an eye on in the second half. They're hottest team in baseball right now. I don't know what the win streak's at, like 13 14. or 14. Yeah, so they're absolutely rolling right now. Uh, but the big question is, can can you keep that going? Can you keep that rolling? Uh, they'd probably tell you that the All-Star break probably came at the worst time yes. possible for them. They would have loved to just keep rolling and keep playing baseball. So uh, it'll be interesting to see them, how they come out the first game after the break and if they can keep that momentum going. But yeah, you said they're a fun team to watch. Ty France is another guy. He's a beast. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a lot of interesting guys on that team. Uh, so they're fun to keep an eye on. And it would be nice to see them finally break through and make the playoffs because it's been it's been way too long. <laughs> 2001, the last time they made the playoffs. Like it's just, what is, and that was the year they won 116 games. A-Rod was on that team. That's how long ago <laughs> that this was for, for Seattle. And they got the Astros three games set this weekend. So a big, big good. series to come out of the gate. For them, the Blue Jays have the Red Sox in Boston, so a big series for the Jays coming out with the Red Sox right right on their heels. But they could also grab a a big lead on the on the Red Sox um, as well. Judge has got thirty three home runs. He's had a phenomenal season so far. Could we have a chase for him to get sixty? Is that something you think that could happen this year, and we could have some nostalgia back to? Uh, you know, '98 when we had the uh, the drug cheats, but maybe Judge is doing it without the uh, without the needle in the ass uh, this time around. I think it's a real possibility, absolutely. Uh, the major reason for that just being where he plays in the division that they play in, like every night, that guy's getting an opportunity to hit in a hitter's friendly ballpark, and the guy's least as much as I don't like him that much or root for him obviously because he's on the Yankees but I can like he's a beast and he's not I know like his power gets most of the like the fame and the smoke that's what people talk about him most but like he's just a good hitter like his average is pretty mm-hmm. good spray it around a little bit so like he's a really good hitter and it would not be I, I would lean he doesn't do it but if I reach 60 I, I won't be shocked more confident Mets or Braves second half of the season? Uh, I got I gotta go. I don't want to do it, but I go Mets just because Scherzer's back mm. and Degrom. Like I've been watching Degrom. It's so funny to watch those highlights when he's like doing a rehab start in single A. Like these poor kids just out of high school, like <laughs> Degrom, like hundred mile an hour fastballs, ninety three mile an hour sliders. Like that's not what they uh, envisioned, I'm sure, when they uh, started the year. So uh, with him coming back and Scherzer, Scherzer's so fun to watch too. Like he's just the ultimate competitor, always out there yelling something. So. Uh, as weird as it is to say with the Mets pitching, I, I kind of like them because you were waiting you were waiting for the Mets Mets like the whole first half of the year. You kept mm-hmm. pitching, but it, it hasn't happened yet. And uh, I think they're getting consistent hitting from guys like Alonzo. He's been an RBI machine. Jeff McNeil's been really good. The door is back. Now back pretty nicely this year. So uh, it's wild. I feel like probably when I talked to you months ago, we were – I probably said the Mets were going to fall off a cliff at any point, but I kind of I don't mind them. I don't mind them. No, and I think they'll spend at the deadline too if they if they 
I don't think they have to, but knowing Steve Cohen, they'll do something. They'll want yeah, to add a, another pitcher or something to the mix because you mentioned they're getting. I mean, those two are basically deadline acquisitions. But and uh, Taiwan Walker's been fantastic. He's ever since he got traded at the deadline to the Jays, he's been a really, really good pitcher. He's been solid ever since. I think he's got a sub three ERA. Like he's been, he's been that good for for the Mets. But that that's an interesting division too because the Mets and the, the Braves are loaded. They're starting to play really good baseball. Uh, as well, more likely to fall off a cliff and miss the playoffs entirely. This is sort of mean-spirited, but this is <laughs> how, I, how I like to go, so whatever. Twins or Padres? Um, I think I uh, probably the Twins mm -hmm. for sort of reasons that you just mentioned. Uh, the White Sox are still really good, but – just trying to think the other teams in the division kind of stink so they do have a uh, an advantage there other than the white Sox. padres playing a tough division but i still think like their pitching is really good joe musgrove's fantastic yeah. clevenger's last couple starts he's finally getting healthy and looking like the old clevenger that we saw back in cleveland so i do like their pitching them probably a bit more um and machado's been a beast all year so uh, I honestly wouldn't be too shocked to see both teams make the playoffs at the end of the year, but mm -hmm. if one team to fall off, I probably would lean towards uh, the Twins. Yeah, I agree. I just I never trust the Padres because they they've missed the last two years and it's like they fell off a cliff. Yeah, last but year, yeah, for sure. Tatis is coming back at some point, so that'll be a good acquisition for them as well as one of the best players in baseball. Uh, finally, before I let you go, if Sir Charles Barkley goes to the Live Tour, that's a big get. That's, <laughs> that's I, so I don't random. Know he, he doesn't cover golf, but he to me he's the biggest get you can get in the media game right now, and that would be a for uh, for the Shark, Greg Norman. <laughs> that would be a big. I think that would be a really really big get if he can get Charles Barkley to join the Live Tour. I would love to know what the betting odds are that Charles Barkley is going to go join the live. Cause I, I didn't have that one on my bingo card. I'll tell you that for sure. But he's, no. that he is by far one of the most entertaining uh, media personalities in, in all of sports right now. That's a huge get. And I, I don't even know where the heck you watch live right now, but if he went over there, like I might consider tuning in. Cause like you said, he's just super entertaining to listen to. So uh, I would love to know what the contract is too if they do make it happen because I'm sure that would be a, a pretty nice payday for Mr. Barclay. Yeah, Henrik Stenson's not exactly a head grabber, headline grabber, or Jason Kokrak or Charles Howell Jr. the third, but Charles Barkley gets my attention. That's for sure. And he announced today he's playing in the next Pro Am next week for the live in New Jersey. So there's that. He has not signed on yet, but he's playing in the Pro Am. So That'll be a reason to tune in just to see him play golf. So, uh, Benny, I know you, you're battling through COVID. I appreciate you coming on today, as always. Uh, enjoy the rest of your summer, and we'll talk again in the fall uh, when the NFL is back up and running. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thanks, Jug. Thanks, Benny. Uh, there's Benny, everybody. Great to chat with him today. Uh, he says he's battling through COVID, and uh, good to know he's doing better. And I was – Gonna get to 
the live today, and I was going to get to tomorrow a couple of things we're going to talk about. Hockey Canada, I haven't really addressed it much. I'm going to tomorrow. It, it's something that I want to talk about. I haven't really gotten into it yet. I don't want to rush it at the end of the podcast today. But I will address Hockey Canada tomorrow. To me, it's an, it's an important thing to talk about. I want to have more time to expand on it, some thoughts on Hockey Canada as an organization. My brief interaction that I've had with Hockey Canada that didn't exactly go so well. And just what they're doing with this whole investigation. I, re- I want to get into that tomorrow. I'm also going to talk some CFL tomorrow. Tee up the weekend. But also some COVID regulations. And some things that are angering me that are still happening in the world when it comes to testing and all this, it needs to stop. I don't know why it isn't. The 19th wave is upon us, but uh, I'll address that tomorrow. Uh, It's Friday tomorrow already. Next week's the last week of July. Can you believe it? Last week of July, it's depressing, quite frankly, that summer is going to be halfway over. But we'll be back tomorrow. Talk, with a lot to talk about, a lot to break down. Hope you guys enjoyed the show today. Thank you to Benny for joining on, on a nice hot Sunday day. So I do appreciate that. But thank you all for listening. Go on uh, YouTube, subscribe uh, on, on Facebook Live, wherever you get your podcast. Leave a, uh, re- re- leave a review, please. Appreciate that. So have a great night, everybody. We'll talk tomorrow. It's to the point.